originally everyone thought that the Tampa Bay Lightning would seek and destroy any opponent that would challenge them, but in a dramatic turn of events, they could be on the verge of a four-game sweep and a shortened playoff run. How much of the blame is on them, and can they win four straight to keep their season alive? You'll probably know the answer. Maybe, maybe you won't by the time you hear this podcast, but we'll debate and discuss regardless. Plus, the other team in Florida has a brand new vision behind the bench. The Rangers and New Jersey double score big in last week's NHL draft lottery. And Alain Vignon has found a new home, and it's also in the Metro Division. Episode 167 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to do it for the playoffs, because uh, we didn't yeah, do it last I, week. I, I, I feel for the for the special shows like the playoff previews yeah. um, the free agency stuff we do, we skip through the book of trivia makes because sense, it's going to yeah. be a long episode anyways so. right yeah, no, it makes sense That's I mean they're they're always a long episode but yes I, yeah. I makes sense I didn't even talk anyways, to you about it but yes <laughs> makes yeah, sense yeah anyways this week we got a question and it's question 54 and here it is who was the first European trained NHLer in Hall history was it A, Peter Stastny of Czechoslovakia, B, Slava Fedosov of the USSR, now Russia, C, Boris Salming of Sweden, or D, Yuri Curry of Finland? Uh, wait, uh, so the, I know the players, but who are the, what's the question again? <laughs> the question is, who was the first European-trained NHLer in Hall history? I assume they mean Hockey Hall of Fame history. Okay. So, it would be fitting if it was uh, Peter Stasny, but I don't know if he was a European-trained guy. Um, just because Paul Stasny is uh, killing it in the playoffs right now. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Fedosov. Slava Fedosov of the USSR, that's your guess. Yeah, now you're making me question it, but yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with no, that. Yeah, I did make you question it because the answer is Boris Salmon. Uh, all right. I, w I don't know. Okay. When in doubt, always go with the Maple Leafs, but it's it's a hockey hall of fame. Of course there's a bit of trial bias in here. <laughs> true, true. But I, I don't know. I thought that like Fedosov, like, he had the whole like Russian thing, and then yeah. he went into the NHL. I was like, all right, maybe he's going there. True um, enough, yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, like Steve mentioned at the as the lead lead into this podcast, um, yeah. The uh, we I think during our playoff preview, we kept on saying that like you know Columbus is a good team, but they're you know Tampa Bay's like one of the greatest teams of all time. They don't really have a shot at them. Um, boy, were we wrong. Um, I mean, not only us, but, like, everyone was picking the Lightning. Like, this was the only... Yeah, everyone was picking yeah. the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup for crying out 
Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it's like, you know, not only us, we're, I mean, we're idiots, but, um, you know, even the experts were, were, we're saying we're that. We're among of many idiots, so we look like less idiots. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's just a crazy thing. So, yeah, the, the Blue Jackets are up 3 nothing against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, so there's, uh, so the first game went, uh, 4-3. In fact, it started off where the Lightning, like, had scored three unanswered goals in the thir- first period. And then all of a sudden, t- uh, Columbus starts, uh, scoring a bunch of these different goals. Uh, Seth Jones gets the game winner. Um, and in fact, there was, like, um, like, John Tortorella, the co- coach, obviously, um, he, um, he made this like motivational speech um, at the end of the fir- first intermission or during the first intermission, I should say. And he was, um, it was, of course, it was, it was profane. Either, it was either before the game, either before the game or at the end of the first period. Oh, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was at the end of the first period. That, that's what, that's what I was thinking too because yeah, yeah. of the period that they had, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like it was very profane. Like he swore a lot, but he basically well, said it, that it, it's it's a towards speech. Let's be honest. Of yeah. course, there's gonna be profanity. I'm of course, yeah. I'm, <laughs> but I'm like paraphrasing here because he basically said that you should like, you know, always like back check, always like try your hardest kind of thing. Um, yeah. What torch yeah, does said, said that it's an honor to play. On the same sheet of ice as Tampa, so basically, give it everything you've got. Yeah, basically. Don't back down from any challenges. Give it all you got. You know, as like corny as that sounded, it's like it actually kind of worked because then uh, all of a sudden Columbus scored uh, three, four goals. Tampa didn't score any uh, after the first period um, in that game, um, and then in this the second game. Um, was more of just like um more of that energy uh for the blue jackets um it, it was a 5-1 game um the uh tampa's lone goal was in the third period um but you know you got goals from cam atkinson zach Wierenski, matt duchene riley nash and artemi panarin so you know you're a pretty good team or you're rolling when riley nash is scoring goals Um, but, uh, so there's that game and then the third period, uh, and then the third game, you're just thinking like, well, Tampa has, oh, I guess I'm bearing the lead here, but, um, that Nikita Kucherov, um, who did he hit again? It was, um, basically what happened is, I guess he tripped Marcus Nudevera. I guess maybe he thought Nudevera sold it, but Nudevera's down on his knees, obviously not expecting to get hit. He gets cross-checked into the boards by Kucherov, which obviously draws a crowd. I'm surprised all he got was one game. Like, that's yeah. absolutely gutless on call for whatever you want to call it. That's a multi-game suspension. Yeah, no, and it was a pretty he bad. Only get, he, only, he only gets game three out of that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, it, it reminded me, I mean, we're going to get into it, but it reminded me of the, of the Nazem Kadri suspension um, or hit. But yeah, yeah, no. Before, before it even happened, yeah. Yeah, before, before like before a day happened. before it happened, yeah. But yeah. Um, but it reminded me of that, and also Braden Point and uh, Zach Wierenski got into a fight, which is something you don't really see. It's like two, 
uh, to people who, you know, to players who aren't really known as um, fighters, and they um, they do that um, for a living. You know, they they started fighting and all that stuff. So, um, so that was an interesting thing for those for game two at least. Um, other than that, it was kind of uneventful, but like you know, it was eventful. Um, and um, and then in the third game, uh, third game, it was kind of like so they don't have Kucherov for this game, um, but it's in Columbus, and the, the Tampa also um, does not have uh, Victor Hedman, um, which I guess the the reasoning behind that was is that Hedman had been injured for the last like four games like of the season so they took him out but I guess like he just wasn't ready um there was a couple of goals in game two and game one where like Hedman just looked um not himself basically so um so yeah he's not playing game three I would be surprised if he's playing game four um we'll see but um yeah he didn't um look good um, so yeah, so Tampa doesn't have their best defenseman and their best forward, um, but they're still a pretty good team considering they have Stamkos, uh, Point, and uh, Vasilevsky. Um, anyways, uh, there wasn't any scoring in the first period, but then in the second period, Matt Duchesne scores, um, and then he got a beautiful goal from Oliver Borkstrand um, on the power play uh, to make it a second uh, to make it two nothing. Um, and then Andre Palat and uh, Cam Atkinson um, get goals in the third period. Um, but it was still 3-1 Columbus. Um, and this was, you know, this was a game that, because Tampa didn't have Kucherov, this was a game that Columbus had to have, um, you know, because it, it just applies all the pressure now on Tampa, even more so than it was beforehand. Um so I do want to say that we're recording this on Tuesday um, at noon or at one, I guess. Um, so, but there is game four is tonight on Tuesday. So when you're hearing this, um, either Columbus did sweep or it's three one Columbus. Um, either way, it's still uh, you know Columbus is. I mean Tampa Bay is in trouble because Tampa Bay now has to win all four of these games to. Uh, to win the series, um, but yeah, no, this is pretty shocking. Um, I, you know, I, th I think it's it's always been like a thing the past couple of years where, like, the President Trophy winner always has struggled um, in the in during the playoffs, and I think it's all because like they they were very you know they they were ahead of times and they didn't like face that much adversity and so then when the playoff because the playoffs are a different animal so now it's like okay now they can't um you know they like we'll see how they they battle um when they're they're down like this because that's really what it comes down to in the playoffs like and all that stuff um, and then as for Columbus, this is kind of what we thought Columbus would look like when they got Matt Duchesne, when they got, um, um, who's the other guy that they got, um, during the deadline, Ryan Dezingle. Ryan Dezingle, you know, so, uh, so 
it's good that this is like the team that we're kind of expecting them to be. Bobrovsky has been amazing, um, and Panarin has been amazing as well. And so has Seth Jones, Warinsky, Cam Atkinson has also been great. Uh, Matt Duchesne has been wonderful too, which we'll get into in a second. But um, they've all, you know, they've all been, you know, all their guys. Like we were saying, if Columbus were to make this into a series, you know, Matt Duchesne, Bobrovsky, Panarin, they all have to be on top of their game, and they are on top of their game right now. Yeah, and you alluded to a lot of the things that I have in my notes here. Just the fact that Columbus needed everything to go right for them and Tampa needed to play average. And that's exactly what's happened. You look at Tampa Bay special teams through games one, two, and three. They have gone 0 for 5 over that stretch. They didn't even get a single chance on the power play in game three. Meanwhile, Columbus, through games one, two, and three, have gone 4 for 8. A combined four for eight on the power play. And Tampa's leading scorer right now is Eric Cernak, a defenseman with three assists in three games. And again, like when when you talk about all of the offensive weapons, Eric Cernak, I don't think is even in the top 10. So the fact that he's their leading scorer is not good for the Tampa Bay Lightning at all. And, and like you said, uh, Columbus's best players have been their best players. Bobrovsky, I... I, I wouldn't say he's outdueled Vasilevsky because Vasilevsky has been average. Vasilevsky's made some key saves when called upon. He's stopped a lot of quality chances. He's really kept the Tampa Bay Lightning in a lot of those games. But it's just in those big moments, Sergei Bobrovsky has been able to make more key saves than the guy at the other end of the ice. And in previous postseasons, he struggled to do that. And I told you off the air, Brett, in game three, where Tampa was really buzzing, Bobrovsky bent, but certainly did not break. He held down the four, preserved the 3-1 win. And as we all know, last year, that changed the whole complexion of Columbus's playoff hopes because the Jackets, as you know, had a chance to go up 3-0 on the Caps last year in their own building. Goes to overtime, Caps win, they get new life, reel off four straight wins, Columbus is done. Washington advanced to round two, wins the Stanley Cup. If Tampa gets that win without Nikita Kucherov, the complexion of this series is set to change drastically because Kucherov, to me, seems like a very passionate guy that when he gets mad, he really turns it up a notch. Yeah. I think if Tampa wins game three, Kuch elevates his game in game four, and that X factor that Tampa's been missing for all this series gets to make a statement, and that poses big-time trouble for Columbus. If it happens, and they didn't let it get to that point. Kucherov's now coming back with his team down 3 nothing in the series with little room for error. This team did not go through a single three-game slide during the regular season. Columbus has gone through much worse slides over the course of the regular season. Yeah. And now Tampa's under pressure to win four straight just to keep their season alive. And that's a lot tougher to do down three games to none. The other question that I've been hearing a lot about is whether or not coach John Cooper is getting outcoached by John Tortorella. And in some cases he is. I mean, after game two, he doesn't seem rattled. He seems calm. But he says something about turning uh, about this whole situation turning into a fire, five alarm blaze. And you're going, you're coaching the best team in the league by three miles. And you're describing this chaotic scene. What's going on with this team? Yeah. Like, 
I haven't seen a, a team. Well, okay, I have seen a team, the Ottawa Senators. But besides <laughs> them, I haven't seen a team self-destruct after just three playoff games. Yep. Like, this is the quickest self-destruction from a 128-point team, 62-win season to one game away from getting swept. Yeah. Like, how big of a 360 do you need to to call yourselves the biggest joke in the league? Like, Tampa was a serious contender for the Stanley Cup, and now they're about to be swept by the lowest-seeded team? Like, this can't be reality. Yeah, on one hand, I... Yeah, no, it is crazy to think about this um, because it's like I was thinking about this in terms of like it would be like if the Patriots, you know, that undefeated season, um, they lost in the first round. At least the, the that Patriots team, you know, made it to the Super Bowl. They lost the yeah. Super Bowl, but they, you know, at least at least they made it there. But like, you know, if you lose in the first round, it seems like this has this season has been a total waste um, because it's, you know, yeah, they've been a historic in the regular season, but that's all they're ever going to be known for um, if they lose this series. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, it's a crazy thing to think about. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, um, it's just an interesting thing where, like, last year the President Trophy was, I mean, as I mentioned before, like, you know, the president, tro- like, there's been a thing around where the president trophy hasn't won the Stanley Cup um, in, like, I don't know. I forget the last team that won the Sta- the president's trophy and the Stanley Cup at the sa- in the same year. But, like, last year was Nashville. They went out in the first round. Um, it's been, I, I, it used I, to be I Washington. Remember, I think in the... F- I can't remember if the Hawks did it right. uh, in the lockout short. Oh, that might think, have been it. I think the last time it happened in a full season, and of course I could be wrong on this, was the 1994 New York Rangers. Okay, so that's a long time ago, if that's true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're right. The Hawks did win it, uh, but that was a half season, not a full season. Yeah. Right. Um, and, um, but, yeah, no, and then, like, the, the Washington Capitals for years had won the the President's Trophy, and then they would either be done in the first round or the second round um, in the playoffs. So, it's well, yeah, like you I, know. I remember, I remember one of the times where they won the President's Trophy, and they had like close to sixty wins and mm-hmm. over three hundred goals, and Ovechkin was a superhuman highlight reel, and Yaroslav Halak mm-hmm. happens, and the Habs beat him in round one, right? And the Habs go to the conference finals. Right, so I think there is something to that where, um, you know, you're you're not battle tested um, when you're a President's Trophy winner because you're you know you're for most of the part you were the like wire to wire team to beat um, in the regular season and then you're not really tested for when you when things do go wrong because things are always going to go wrong in the playoffs. It's not like you can have a perfect, uh, you know, it's very rare to win 16 straight games like that. So, um, in fact, I think it, no one, no team has ever done that. I don't know. Maybe maybe Montreal has in when they were really good um, in the 70s. But I, I don't think I don't think a team has done that yet. So it's, it's just it just adds another layer to it where um, where I feel like, 
you know, there's one thing to own the regular season like the Tampa Bay Lightning have, but to uh, win in the playoffs, that's just a different um, type of thing. Um, I wish, I just wish I uh, had uh, thought of this last week. Um, it's, you know? <laughs> it's, it's just one of those, like, and the difference between Washington, that team in 2009, 2010, that lost in round one to right. Montreal to this Tampa Bay team that could get swept in round one. And by the time you're listening to this again, it might be the case where they do get swept. But the difference is Tampa Bay's goaltending is better. Bruce Boudreaux's had a knack for getting knocked out in round one. John Cooper has, and John Cooper's been to the conference finals with this team a bunch of times. He's led them to a Stanley Cup final appearance in 2015. Tampa has had long-term success in the playoffs before, and this is and they have had consistent success all the way through, and they've been this dominant threat that doesn't rely on just Ovechkin and Backstrom. They rely on Stamkos and Point and Kucherov and Tyler Johnson and Victor Hedman and Anthony Sorelli and, and all of these guys that have emerged for Tampa Bay. Like, they're a more balanced team. Right. And yet they're on the verge of getting swept. Like, th- I said before, if Tampa loses to Columbus – this would be bigger than the Penguins losing to the Islanders in 93. Yeah. This would be one of the most epic first-round upsets in NHL history, bar none. Not because Columbus is bad, because Tampa's so good. No, that's fair. Um, all right, so before we go on to the other seven series or stuff that's happened in the playoffs, um, do you think the Lightning are going to be swept I understand that by the time this is recorded, we'll know the answer to this question, but uh, I want to get both our predictions here. So do you think they're going to be swept tonight? I think they're going to win the next game, maybe game five as well, but they're not winning this series. Tampa's done. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, yeah, I don't think they're, I don't think Tampa's winning this series. Um, if they do, then it's like, okay, this team is actually for real. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say, um, I actually think Columbus could sweep them, even with Kucherov in the lineup. I feel like Victor Hedman yeah, being out has is going to be a bigger effect to them uh, than uh, Kucherov being out. You so. know what? It, it wouldn't surprise me, given everything that's happened, if they do sweep yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. For sure. Um, and, um, there's another thing I was going to mention, but I forget it. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's go to other things. So I just wrote some things down that's happened to the other playoffs series, just so that we're not neglecting everything else that's happened. Uh, so the first thing, um, of course, a Nazem Kadri is a dirtbag again. Um, <laughs> if you remember last year, like, uh, Kadri hit... Tommy Wingles to the board um, in the in the playoffs, um, and he only got two games. Um, but this time, uh, Kadri is suspended for the rest of the series for what he did to Jake DeBrusque. Um, Jake DeBrusque uh, just had like put um, Patrick Marlowe's uh, like body basically to the to that little stanchion area. Um, Marlowe's fine, by the way. Um, but then, like, immediately after, uh, Kadri checks him to the boards, 
uh, DeBrusque wasn't even like looking. He didn't even have the puck at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a total like sure. I guess DeBrusque did something morally questionable just beforehand, but like like DeBrusque wasn't even looking at that point. You know, he wasn't really prepared. He was a defenseless guy there, um, and Kadri just hit him. Uh, to the boards, DeBrusque was down for a bit, but then he got back up. He's he's kind of a boss now. Um, both, I think, it's safe to assume that uh, he's like your favorite Bruin or one of your favorite Bruins, Steve? Uh, he's, he, he, just, just the way he was, uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, Kadri is the one leaf I can't dislike, uh, that I, I can't really like. I... He's probably the most disliked Leaf on their roster, yeah. in my opinion. I can't stand Nazem Kadri. And I love the fact that DeBrus was going after Kadri all game. Maybe the knee on knee, you know, that might be a bit much there. But, yeah. um, like, like just, just the fact that he was, like, crushing bodies and just, like, really getting under Kadri's skin, I loved it. I just loved it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been great the, the last second half, and he's been um, – you know he's he's been uh like he's kind of been like a little um uh, I don't know how to say this without saying the s word but he's been an s word stirrer um <laughs> um and, do, do and you I find love it. He's, he's a bit more like a Lucic, obviously not uh, not as tall and I like as intimidating as Lucic, but he he has the offensive uh potential that Lucic had I when he was younger, and he's throwing the body around. I would compare him more to Marshawn than Lucic. Um, yeah, because I I feel like Marshawn he's just he DeBrus is just getting under the Leafs' skin more um, than like I mean Lucic obviously got into more of his skin, but. I think it's more just the physicality um, aspect of things where I feel like DeBrus is like, you know, he's able to just get in the other players' heads and is actually really good at this hockey thing. So um, I love it. Um, we'll t- I'll talk more about the Boston-Toronto series um, at the end of this episode, so stay tuned on that. Uh, also, the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't the only team that are um, in trouble. Uh, the Penguins are down three nothing to the Islanders. Um, you kind of you sort of kind of predicted this, where you were saying that this is going the the Islanders Penguins series was going to be um, an interesting one. However, like because like I felt like everyone was saying the Penguins were going to win this series, even though. The Islanders were the two seed and the Penguins were the one seed. But I don't think anyone really predicted that the Islanders would be dominating for all three of these series, basically. Um, We kind of figured it was possible. Like, it wasn't like a Columbus-type situation. But, um, you know, it was more like we, we know that Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel always pick it up during the playoffs. Um, and and this time they didn't really. Um, Robin Leonard has been fantastic. He has a 9.51 save percentage um, and a 1.62 GAA. Um, I believe the he. I want to see how many goals he he uh, has allowed. Um, he's also um, also to talk. We'll talk about him in a second. But Jordan Eberle has been fantastic too. Um, he has five. Um, points right now um, 
Hold on, give me a second. Uh, okay, so oh, it hasn't been that bad. I thought, I thought he was like he gave. Uh, Robin Leonard has given up uh, six goals. Oh, I have here five goals. Um, no, you're right. No, you're right. Miscalculation. Yeah, you're right. It is five goals in three games. That's incredible. Yeah, so I, I thought it was like three goals. He gave up three goals in three games, but no, no. Uh, five, I mean, it's still really good, though, obviously. Um, so, yeah, he's been he's been incredible. Uh, and then also, you know, Jordan Eberle has been um, on fire. He has three goals and two assists. Um I believe Matt Barzal has like three, four assists, something like that. Uh, Josh Bailey's been pretty good too. Uh, let me pull up their stat page here. Well, and, and it's also interesting because, you know, some of their depth guys like Kunak, Okomarov, they're getting yeah. into the offensive act and scoring big goals too. So it, it's the depth guys that have really stepped up. And what's interesting about how the Penguins have scored their goals, they've scored two goals over games two and three. Both have been first goals of the game, and that's all they've got. Yep. Score first, and then offense is offense exe nowhere to be found. Please try again later. Right, right. Uh, Matt Parzal has four assists. I thought I said. I think I said three assists. Yeah, I no, um, I think you said four. Oh, I did say four. Anyway, Anders anyway, Lee. By the way, just just to reiterate, he has four assists. Yeah, <laughs> Anders Lee and Philippe have uh, three three points. Yeah, that's um, right. Phil Blow is another guy that's really stepped up and, too. And Josh Bailey, although he's more of an assist guy, he has two goals in these three games, which is kind of mm-hmm. amazing when you and, think and, of it. And, and so is Brock Nelson. Just to take Nelson. a look at, uh, at special teams too, which has been uh, a pivotal point in the Tampa Bay uh, Columbus series. Pittsburgh's power play, 1 for 3 in game 1, 0 for 2 in game 2, 0 for 3 in game 3. Yeah. So they've got to combine 1 for 8 over the first three games. And Sidney Crosby has not had a single point um, in this series right now. So that's, that also helps. Yep. The um, kid not getting a single point in three games. Yeah, that'll definitely help your cause. However, Malkin has got a point, uh, has three points in three games, and Kessel has two points in three games. So they're not totally shut out, but, you know, obviously they need to be better as well. Um, yeah, but and, yeah, and if if you take a look at uh, the faceoff battle, the Islanders uh, won over fifty five percent of their draws in games one and two. In game two alone, they won seventy six percent of their draws. Yeah, wow. So when you're losing faceoffs, that that's another strike against the Penguins. So I I you know we'll probably break it more down you know if if they end up losing this series and they're going home but i'm just wondering if this is kind of the fall of the empire in pittsburgh where they're kind of running out of options to make their team better and running out of cap space yeah. to do it and and <laughs> you know they they get a matchup like the Islanders. you know obviously it's it's going to be tough to score goals but still they have gensel they have crosby they have kessel they have malkin they have all this offensive talent how how do you get only five goals in three games. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we were kind of saying how this was going to be a tough series, or at least you were. But, like, yeah, it seems crazy that, like, it, the Islanders have just been dominating, not just on the... Like, we kind of expected that Robin Leonard was going to bring his A game. But, like, the Islanders have also been dominating on the offensive side of things, too. So, um, you know, it's, it's now kind of like... This is... 
Uh, this has been kind of surprising too. So the Penguins need, are in trouble as well. This is another game where uh, we'll find out tonight if the Penguins get swept or if it's going to be 3-1 Islanders. Um, so we'll see. Um, I feel like the Penguins are closer to um, making it a series compared to the Lightning, um, as weird as that sounds. But um, I don't. I don't. I feel like one. What either the Penguins or the Lightning are going to win tonight, um, and I think the Penguins will probably win tonight. Um, yeah, well, given given how the playoffs have gone, it both might lose. That's true. That's true. <laughs> both of them yeah. might be swept. It's also definitely possible. I mean, we, we've yeah. been wrong before. Um, other things. Uh, Joe Thornton suspended one game. Um, I I guess that uh, the the Golden Knights Sharks uh, series has kind of been pretty chippy. Whenever I've watched it, it seems like there's been a lot of hitting going on, um, and Joe Thornton uh, gets suspended one game for it. Um, I think Ryan Reeves like mentioned something about like how old Joe Thornton is um, in the in the public and it was kind of like a funny little thing but um, I figured I'd mention that um, yeah Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane have had some interesting battles too yeah um, yeah they were, they were showing this one thing where like Ryan Reeves was like hitting like basically like he had like there was a, like a point where like three sharks were in a similar area and Ryan Reeves just like knocks them all down basically so <laughs> Um, so there's that. Um, that was that's been kind of a surprising series, although we kind of predicted it with Martin Jones, um, you know, not being as good or as dominant, and even Aaron Dell hasn't been great either. Um, so there's that. Um, and then um, oh, and also Ovechkin and Svechnikov fight. Um, they, uh, it's kind of funny because I, I remember, he, I think, uh, Sveshnikov, like, looked up to Ovechkin as he was a Russian, and, um, and it's just, like, so you're, like, you're fighting your mentor, basically, or your idol, um, and Ovechkin just, like, knocks Sveshnikov down, yeah. um, to the point where I saw this, uh, Twitter guy, um, I think he, like, uh, I think he writes for Sportsnet or something. Um, what's what's his name? Uh, Andrew Berkshire. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I've seen some of his articles on Sportsnet. Anyways, so yeah, he, he, he has connections anyway. Anyways, he was he tweeted out how he felt that Ovechkin shouldn't have even bothered fighting Shvetchnikov, um, which is kind of like a strange thing to even talk about because it's like. Because uh, I guess he was saying, like, pick someone your own size. Um, but, like, you know, Ovechkin's too good to be doing this fight stuff. But, like, at the same time, it's like, that, that's pretty much hockey. If, if you're, well, well, did, you know. Well, didn't, like, Sveshnikov, like, wasn't, like, he ready to drop the gloves? Yeah, him? yeah. So, even, though, like, even though Ovechkin dropped them first, it, it looked like he was kind of just, like, egging Obi on. So, like, hey, come on, let's go. Right, let's fight. and then that's what I was saying. It's, like, that's, like, fair game in hockey. Um, you know, it's <laughs> pretty much the only time in, in ever that you could, like, if you're egging someone on, you're, you're supposed to kind of almost fight and stuff. But... I guess Berkshire's point was is that like he does he didn't have to fight Shvechnikov he could have just ignored him, um, 
but I don't even really think it's that big of a deal. And and then I guess it was just more like, like they were all like saying like, well, he's only like Sveshnikov is only nineteen years old, but it's not like, Sveshnikov is in the NHL. He's like, he's nineteen years old. It's not, and he started the whole thing. So if you're gonna if you're gonna argue size difference, that's one yeah. thing. But if you're gonna argue age, like the dude's, right. like dude's old enough to play the NHL. Yeah. And like it's if also they, if they didn't think he yeah. was NHL ready, he wouldn't be playing. Right? Yeah, it's you like I'll give I'll give you that Svechnikov uh, was stupid, but he yeah. like he had every right to do that if he wanted to. Um, it's just like an interesting thing because I you know it's a Russian like the young Russian versus the old Russian um, in that regard. But yeah, no Ovech, Ovechkin is like one of those guys. Like obviously he's a fantastic goal scorer, one of the best, or the best goal scorer in this century, but, like, he can also, like, uh, fight with anyone, really, if if challenged, so that was just proof that he can do that. Yeah, um, uh, and what's it, it, it's it's honestly tough to see regarding uh, the Ovechkin stuff, you know, you, you, you hate to see, you know, someone get knocked out like that, I don't think Ovechkin intended to obviously knock him out either, I'm sure he felt pretty bad about the situation as well. And um, if if I'm Washington now, I'm concerned whether or not I've woken the Canes up because uh, Rob Brindamore said he felt sick to his stomach watching that. And um, he commented on what Sveshnikov means to everyone in that dressing room. And he said the whole dressing room just loves him. You know, they mm. they they all just like gravitate towards him just yeah, like actually. a swell just a swell kid and uh, i guess the message was kind of like when it for Sveshnikov and there was one point in the in in the game where washington went 20 minutes without a shot on goal there was one point in the third period where the shots were 28 to 3 for carolina following the end of the first period and i think the final shot total was like 45 to 18 in the game for the hurricanes yeah. so um this might have given the canes the life that they needed and uh, if I'm Washington, uh, that that could spell trouble for them. So uh, we'll see how it affects the series. Yeah, uh, getting sure. back to the Joe Thornton uh, thing for just one second, um, I I don't think he, in, he intends to hurt people either, but it definitely deserved one game suspension at least. I yep. mean, the, the the fact that the NHL is so keen on targeting shots to the head and punishing guys for doing that. He made contact with Nosek's head. He, uh, Nosek was not in a position to bail from the hit. Joe Thornton was. I don't think he he really. I, I don't think he really tried to avoid contact with Nosek. Um, so, I, I can appreciate uh, the Department of Player Safety giving Thornton one game there. Um, it's it's definitely not something you want to see in this game and. It's definitely something that I don't think uh, Joe Thornton is a big part of. He's not he's not a, a headshot artist or anything like that. But um, you got to suspend what's suspendable, and that was definitely a suspendable hit. So uh, I don't mind that at all. I, I think they're right to give Thornton a game for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't really mention it. But, yeah, I know it, it made sense to me as well. Um, also, I just wanted to mention that I was just looking here. Svechnikov has... Uh, two goals and one assist so far in the playoffs, um, three points in three games. So that's yeah, um, yeah, and he you know, got he got both making goals an in impact. his first game. Yeah, he got both goals in his first game as well. Right, right. No, you were player. you were just mentioning like how all the teammates love him. It's just like it's not just that he's also contributing now. Oh um, yeah. In in um, 
in actual play as well. Um, and then, um, yeah, so then uh, lastly, we have a couple of things here, just in terms of players that have been um, notable here. Marks, uh, first off, um, I guess the, I just made this, uh, Vegas, Columbus, and the Islanders are looking very smart uh, because um, all the guys that they acquired in the last two years are, are um, making it big right now. Um, Mark Stone has eight points, six goals. He had a hat trick in game three. Uh, there's also um, Paul Stasny has eight points as well. Um, so that's another Vegas guy. Max Pacioretty has six points and uh, a, six, a six. He has six points and four assists. So that's two goals. Um, also, Matt Duchesne has been uh, amazing. Um, he has two goals and three assists. And then, of course, Jordan Eberle, who I mentioned before, but I'll. It reminds, it's important to have this again. Jordan Eberle has three goals and two assists, um, or five points. Um, and so it's funny that the top five guys who are the point leaders were all like um, either free agents last year, uh, traded, or um, in the last two years. So it's, um, it's kind of interesting there. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I, yeah. yeah, like Stasny and Stone both have five, both had five point games in game three. Right. Stasny's been just as good as Mark Stone has been. Yes, yeah, Stasny's um, been great and, too. And it, it, it's one of those reasons why I thought Vegas would be a playoff team. It's not just because, you know, they, they have a lot of the pieces that made them good, they've added on to it. And that's stuff that really hindered teams like Ottawa from. Um, taking that extra step forward or staying on uh, the path of success is because when Ottawa made it to the Eastern Conference Finals at the year after, they didn't really do much. They didn't really add too many pieces. Yeah. And it hurt them big time. So um, I, I think um, I, I think uh, Stone, Patch, Reddy, and uh, Stastny improved their weight in gold and we're only into round one. So uh, yeah, yeah Ve Vegas is looking sharp. Yeah, Vegas is looking good. Um, kind of makes my, me regret that prediction I had of Sharks and seven um, already. Um, Patrick Laine um, also has a goal in each of his the three playoff games right now. Um, so he's kind of been picking it up at the right moments. That He's been kind of like the biggest, um, you know, he, can't, he didn't really show up at all um, in the regular season. I mean, he had a couple of uh, spurts of where he was amazing, but um, but now, it, like, it seems like he's, like, just very in um, during the playoffs, and, you know, it's just good to see that he's, like, at least he's not going to be, like, a total... He's not going to fully fade away, and he's... I guess he was just saving up all his energy in the playoffs and not... Um, and all that stuff. Yeah, and, and getting back uh, to to the Vegas thing for uh, just one second, and that's that's great for Line and the Jets. By the way, the fact that Patrick Line is back to scoring goals, I, I think the Jets really need him to excel and be on his game there. Um, 
In game three, Vegas scored the first goal of the period, not once, not twice, but three times. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a team do that. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team give up uh, three goals um, in, separately in the first minute of every period of a hockey game. That, yeah. That, that, takes a, that takes a special kind of suckage. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought you were going to mention Patrick Laine, but you're not. You're not doing that. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of alluded to Patrick Laine, and he he's, he's one of those pure goal scorers that you can't keep him off the scoreboard forever. Eventually, he's yeah. got that minus touch where he's going to find his game again, um, and it, it, it's it, it's kind of it. it it's not like uh, you know Jordan Eberle, where he gets like three goals and two assists, and and all of a sudden you know he's he's found his offensive groove again. Like people know what Patrick Line is, people don't know what version of Jordan Eberle you're gonna get. Eventually, you're gonna see the real Patrick Line stand up and take notice and take sure. action. And it's it's about time he's done it. It took him a while, but uh, now now the bounces are starting to go his way, and and the Jets yeah. need that right now. I will say I'm just looking at Patrick Laine's stats right now. He had 30 goals this season, so it's like if that's a down year for Patrick Laine, it's like mm-hmm. I I want to know what his ceiling is, you know? Yeah, well, um, it was incredible because 18 of those 30 goals, if you remember, came in one month. They yeah. came in the month of November. So um, if he plays like he did in November, then. Uh, then maybe the the good streaky side of Patrick Laine is going to propel the Jets uh, yeah. into the next round. Which you know, in order to get out of the hole they're in against uh, against um, the St. Louis Blues, I, I think that's essential for Patrick Laine to help get the offense going. True. And it certainly worked in Game Three because you, you got that Buffalo Bank shot off of Bennington's mask there. Yeah. The, the puck luck is starting to go Winnipeg's way for a change. That's actually the Jets and the Blues series has actually been the most interesting series besides the Bruins and Leafs, of course. Yeah. But uh, to me, just because like I feel like the goalies uh, match well together and the forwards like match well together. The defense, like they're just an evenly matched team, basically to me. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to that um, as well. Um, yeah, and, and also the uh, also made interesting because of the backstory behind Jordan Bennington's previous tweets that just oh, magically yeah. surfaced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. Although I, yeah. I try not to get too much into politics here on this show. So yeah. It, 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 you know, it's it's one of those things where you know, you know, late teens. Yeah. Hopefully a better person. Hopefully learn from that. Won't do it again. Right, yeah, it's it's one of those it was, things. It's old. It, it tweets, was yeah. it was one of the, it was one of those tweets. Of course, um, and then um, just on the goaltending side of things, uh, we have uh, we did want to met we already mentioned Robin Leonard and Poprovsky. Uh Grubauer has been amazing. Um, surprisingly, uh, he has a two point two four GAA and a save percentage of nine twenty eight. Uh, you wanted to mention Mike Smith, but he hasn't been. Oh, I guess he's been good. Uh, two. He has a GAA of two point eight seven, and a save percentage of nine twenty six. Um, Pecorini has uh, been good too. He has a nine thirty six save percentage and a GAA of one point nine eight. But Robin Leonard and uh, Sergei Bobrovsky are leading the way right now um, in in both GAA and save percentage. And I guess wins yeah, you, as well. 
Yeah, you talk about uh, the Stars Preds series. That that one has been a goaltender's duel where yeah. the last one that blanks probably uh, probably his team ends up going home. I mean, Bishop almost yeah, Bishop's been great too. Yeah, Bishop almost single-handedly stole Game Two away from Nashville, yeah. which would have put Dallas up two nothing. But the Preds found a way to win that game, and it was Pecorini's turn uh, the following. Uh, couple of nights uh from then in game three where he stepped up and stole a game uh from dallas yeah uh so though both of those goalies in, the, in that series have been good mike smith owns a career 1.83 goals against average and 945 save percentage over 19 playoff starts in his career 926 save percentage this year ignore the gaa for a second here's why made a lot of critical saves in a shutout over colorado in game one they only had 26 shots if i'm not mistaken in that game but there were a lot of quality shots that Mike Smith was able to stop. And and that's what they need, those big-time saves. Um, in Game 2, he continued his strong play, which needed overtime. He stopped 36 of 39 uh, in a game where Colorado eventually wins. And in that lopsided 6-2 loss, the Avs in Game 3, everyone assumes, all oh, the Flames gave up six goals. Guess what's the goaltender's fault? Well, before you pin the blame on Smith, he could have this could have easily been a 10 to 2 blowout like colorado outshot calgary by a 56 to 29 margin they had through 40 minutes alone 34 shots from the dangerous one of the most dangerous parts of the ice they they gave up 34 shots from the slot and on the rush they outchanced calgary 18 to 5. mike smith made 50 saves on 56 shots so the six goals against might look bad but this was one of those rare cases where the the flames defense gave him little help the flames as a team did not match colorado's intensity and it could have been a lot worse man the fact that mike smith is giving them steady goaltending is definitely um reason for flames fans to be optimistic but um Nathan McKinnon is outplaying Johnny Gaudreau right now, and and that's the bigger storyline in Calgary. It's the fact that Johnny Gaudreau has been practically invisible in this entire series. Yeah, that, that is a big story too. Yeah, I mean, we kind of expected that like Calgary's goaltending was going to be their big issue, but yeah, if Johnny Gaudreau's not, you know, it's kind of a given that Johnny Gaudreau is going to be a thing. But if he's not doing well then the flames are not going to last long um in the playoffs um all right let's go to the rapid fire here um obviously we're looking forward to all the playoff stuff and we'll we'll keep you covered um for the rest of these next two months uh rapid fire joel quenville is the head coach of the panthers um bob bugner is out um, so this is obviously this is a big move because Quenville was like the biggest uh, coach guy um, on the market um, and then the Florida Panthers kind of just picked him up um, so yeah the uh, I guess this um, you know there's the big rumor here is that the Panthers are going to try to get Panarin and Bobrovsky um, I'm sure this obviously helps or this entices those two um, more uh, just because it's like Quenville is one of the best coaches is now one of the best coaches uh, in active NHL coaches right now 
um, just because he has those three uh, cups and all that stuff. Um, and I'm I'm more intrigued by the fact that like the Atlantic now has John Cooper, Claude Julian, um, Mike Babcock, um, and now Joel Quenville, Joel, Joel Quenville, um, all in the same division, um, which is kind of an interesting situation. And Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget your boy Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of giving the Bruins uh, a pair of second place finishes in the sure, Atlantic sure. Division. That's not too bad. True. So so those five um, as well. So it's it's kind of like a an interesting um, dilemma. Um, yeah, the coaches in the Atlantic are looking very good. But no, just back to Quenville. What do you think of this? For the well, Panthers? the first thing I think of Joel Quenville is I think of winner. Yep. Like. He's won three cups with one team, did that over a six-year period. He brings a lot of accountability to the table. He's pretty good at getting the most out of his players, like he was able to do in his final years with the Hawks before the flaws couldn't be disguised any longer. And I also heard a lot of good stories about him as a person when he got fired by Chicago many months ago. And that just goes to show you how many players love and respect what he does and him and him as a person as well. He doesn't have that extensive Iron Mike Keenan resume where he's a bit of a hard ass and you know his his message grows weary over time he's a bit of a people person as well and that is a big quality that players are looking for not to mention his compete level and his dedication to win yeah he the the quality of being a people's person cannot be underestimated and he's getting paid an average annual value of 5.25 million over his five-year deal with florida excluding bonuses that could add a million per season to his contract um and he's still got a couple of years where he's getting paid six million uh, in chicago because he was dirt before his final deal expired so he's gonna be making a lot of money but it's not it's not because they're just throwing money at a wall and seeing what sticks like he's earning every single penny because he brings a lot of pedigree, a lot of success with him to Florida. And like we've like we've been kind of talking about in the rumor mill, you know, Florida wants to go out there and do something and bring in all these free agents. There are a lot of star stud free agents that are watching this news and envisioning, gee, what would it be like to play on the same team as Coach Quenville? Yep. And um, of course, Panarin's the obvious name because he's Coach Quen he's been coached by Joel Quenville before. Joel Quenville knows what makes him tick. Dale Talon, who hired Joel Quenville when he was the team of the Hawks in Chicago, um, obviously knows what Joel Quenville is capable of. He's, he's not... He's, he's, just, he's just one of those guys where success has come easy for him um, over the past decade. And um, it, it definitely adds a lot of uh, intrigue to the Atlantic division. And it's not it's not that Bob Bugner was a terrible coach that he got fired. It's just that Florida's in the position where they want to make the playoffs now. They're not eager to wait any longer. Bob Bugner just didn't develop enough consistent positive results for him to keep his job. And Coach Quenville just happened to be available. And this was an opportunity that, you know, if if you're any NHL team, how can you not pass up hiring Joe Quenville? And the Florida Panthers felt like, okay, he's probably not going to be around for much longer. Let's get him off the market now. So they do that. Um, I think Bob Bugner is going to find a new gig in the NHL sooner rather than later. It's it, it just, just with Florida, it just wasn't going to happen. 
just the way they were thinking about the future and going big or going home. I just don't think Bob Bugner was the right fit. Just like uh, Roberto Longo's future in Florida could be decided by the same thing. Um, you know, if they have bigger goals, whether or not you can meet them. Um, and like, like you said about the Atlantic division as a whole, it's a shape shifting hire. I mean, Tampa is on the verge of self-destruction, but John Cooper still has over 300 wins yeah. over a few NHL seasons. He has a talented roster to work with. Mike Babcock was paid like the highest paid coach when he arrived in Toronto. He's also got a talented roster to work with. We all know what Bruce Cassidy has done with the Bruins since he's gone there. Uh, John uh, Claude Julian is doing whatever he can in Montreal to make the Habs a playoff team. Almost did that this year. I look at teams like Boston, uh, I look at teams like Buffalo and Ottawa that are trying to find their path in relevancy, and it's going to be tough because five of the top ten coaches in the league are in one division. Yep, and it's in their division. Yep. So I, I really feel bad for Buffalo and Ottawa because they're probably going to get beaten to a pulp by a lot of these other teams that are just going to be jockeying for position. And I think uh, you could argue uh, the Detroit Red Wings are going to be in that same position as well. Yeah, for sure. I was I was actually thinking that, like, when I saw that, we'll talk about this in a bit, but when I saw that Phil Housley was also fired, I thought that Quenville was going to go to Buffalo because I thought that would mm -hmm. be a better... Uh, situation for him but at the same time there is something to the fact where you're, if you're in Florida there isn't a ton of pressure uh, compared to if you're the coach for Buffalo or if you're yeah. a coach of any Canadian team like Ottawa so um, so I, I felt like uh, so I feel like that may may have added into it where it's like if Quinville may not be you know may not be the right coach for Florida but at the same time, like if that does happen, then it's not a huge deal. I mean, it would affect his legacy, of course. But you know, he still has three cups. He's still like he'll always be regarded as a like one of the best coaches um, in this century, in this you know, and all that stuff. So in this decade, so it's uh, it's one of those things that he um, you know, there's not that much pressure for him to do well. Unlike what Babcock was doing when he was hired by Toronto, because that is like that's probably the most pressurizing uh, coaching job in the NHL, other than I guess Montreal. But um, you know, you know what I mean. Like Toronto has a huge fan base. Uh, Toronto, even when they stink, the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs always show to these games. They're very passionate and all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, and, and, and they're sick so, and tired of and they're sick yeah. and tired of losing. Like the, As, the Rangers were before Mike Keenan got right. there, they they wanted the Stanley Cup so bad, and right. they, no matter what they could, no matter what they did to try and get that Stanley Cup, they just couldn't do it, and it felt right. like they were never going to get it done. But like, as and opposed, it, it's just that endless cycle of suffering. Of course, but as opposed to like, if you compare that that feeling from the fan base. Um, compared to Florida where like you know they're a really like they they were a really good team these past three years they have Barkov they have Huberto um they have Aaron Ekblad uh you know they just got Mike Hoffman Dadanoff's also been pretty good too and um Roberto Luongo so they're a good team um but like like even when they made the playoffs that a couple of years ago like their fans didn't really show so it's 
like they don't really care as much and I feel like in, in that sense that could be good for Quenville where there isn't a ton of pressure um, for him even though the Panthers are a really good team yeah, and, and when yep. you bring a guy with a winning pedigree, that kind of feeds off the yep. fans because they're just like, oh, shoot, th- we're actually serious. Like, we're actually serious we're, here. We're, we're actually expected to win now. And, and not to great. mention, like, they could, like, they're more likely to get guys, like, free agents like Panarin and Bobrovsky um, in the, in the, um, the offseason just because they, we know Quinville is a really good coach. Um right. Uh, other coaching news, uh, Elaine Vigneault um, is the new coach for the Flyers. This kind of came out of surprise because I actually kind of forgot about Elaine Vigneault. Um, and then, uh, so I guess, uh, but now he's the Flyers coach. Um, you know, he's another good coach that has a, a high pedigree um, himself. But um, I've, I'm going to find it interesting during Flyers Rangers games because uh, that's going to be like a, 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 it just adds to that uh, that rivalry even more. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily like I feel like he was a better fit for the old style of hockey um, compared to this new like fast pace type of hockey, but um, it should be interesting to see how he does. I feel like he'll be better than Hackstall was or um, whoever the other coach was um, before him. But yeah, it's it should, will, will be interesting. I know he tends to favor, like his, the biggest knock on him is that he tends to favor veterans more often um, than the young guys. But this could be a good thing uh, for a Flyers type team because Giroux and Voracek, yeah, they're old, but they're, they're the best players on the team. So that could benefit um, the fly, the, just the way that they're constructed right now, um, it could benefit the, those guys. Yeah, and uh, you, you look at um, Alain Vigneault's coaching style, it'll be interesting to see how he addresses a lot of the young talent. Yep. Um, it's It's been over a year since he's had a coaching gig, um, signing a five-year deal that pays him an average of $5 million every year. What changes is he going to bring to Broad Street? And it's obviously tough to say when he hasn't played for the team, um, I think offensively speaking, he's got a better offense to work with than he did in his days with the Rangers. He's also got a goaltender in Carter Hart that can take his game to the next level, just like Henrik Lundqvist was able to do for many seasons when Vignol was the coach in the Big Apple. Um, what I'm also interested to see is how he's able to operate with that young defense. Guys like uh, Ivan Provorov, guys like Robert Haig, guys like Travis Sanheim, they all have room to grow they're still young they're still developing they're yeah. still making strides and slowly learning how to become solid nhl players um at the same time if the flyers want to be good with guys like Claude drew guys like Jakob borchek nearing the peak of their careers time might be an issue in the seasons to follow yep um and and i'm also looking at the young forwards as well like travis connecting and nolan patrick and guys Korea. like that have had their moments but also have gone through long periods of inconsistency. Um, I, I think it's going to take a bit of time. I also think Alain Vigneault has the potential to have this team back on track. Um, but uh, Chuck Fletcher is going to have to do a bit of stuff to, tweak, to tweaker with this team as yeah. well. Because um, even with their current roster, they, they still have a long way to go before they become playoff regulars, guys that you don't want to face in the playoffs. 
Yeah, you didn't even mention Sean Couturier. That's another one that yes. should be interesting. Yeah, and, and he's arguably their best two-way forward as yeah. well. So, um, yeah, no, it should be interesting. I'm going to be more curious about how he treats Konechny and Nolan Patrick, um, yeah. because those are like two guys that, like, just based off of how he was um, in Vancouver and how he was in New York, it seemed like he he would put these play like the young players in the doghouse um, and wouldn't develop them properly. So I am curious about how um, how he handles those two players because, as you mentioned, they have been inconsistent, but they they definitely both have uh, a ton of talent uh, still. So it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, and I think um, I think walking into this job, Alain Vigneault knows that he's going to have to maybe change his approach a little bit because of how young this team is. Right. You know, and if if you're if you're going to treat the veteran players bigger than your younger players, yeah. um, your team's probably going to be pretty bad because uh, they have a lot of yep. good, talented young players that are probably better than a lot of the old players that they have on the team, with Especially- the exception of maybe Drew and Borchek. Especially nowadays where like this new NHL has kind of um, rewarded speed and I feel like youth yeah. has been a bigger uh, thing now. So uh, he yeah. better he better change his ways if he wants to be successful for the Flyers. Um, and I think that's gonna be the uh, that's gonna be the determining factor. Um, NHL draft lottery. Uh, speaking of the Rangers, um, th- well, first off, I. Uh, Steve gets his wish, or every Sens fans get their wish, because the best-case scenario happened uh, to them. Uh, Colorado gets the fourth-place spot. The uh, NHL draft lottery goes, like, the first place is uh, New Jersey, so New Jersey will likely draft Jack Hughes, although I I think there is a chance that they could get Capo Caco. We'll see. Um, the Rangers uh, get the second uh, place, um, so they'll either get Capo, Caco, or Jack Hughes, so they get someone good. And then Chicago gets the third spot, because of course they do. Um, <laughs> so um, so the teams that got kind of screwed um, were uh, L.A., um, and I guess Colorado, considering all three of these teams were... Um, um, teams that j- almost missed the playoffs or uh, were about to, but um, yeah, New Jersey. Uh, so New Jersey is going to be interesting if they do draft Jack Hughes. Um, they have Hall, Heisher, and Hughes in their lineup. The Triple H is what I'm going to be calling them now, um, if that <laughs> is official. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's been the big thing is, is that Jack Hughes may not actually be the first overall. But I feel like they the the Devils need more help on center than they do on wing. So I think they they'll probably choose Jack Hughes over uh, Capo Caco, but I would not be surprised if Caco is the bigger is the bigger um, is the better player um, in a, in like five years, let's say. Um, and the funnier thing is, is that like when, um, the Devils did draft Heischer, um, two years ago, the second team was the Flyers, which were on, you know, in their team, um, 
on their, you know, in their division. And this year, it's the Devils and then the Rangers are the second team. So that's another team in their division um, as well. So it, it should be interesting if, like, Kako or Hughes are a bust and then the other one isn't. But Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, this, dra- this draft lottery had a lot of similarities, actually, because... Yeah. A team from the Central leapfrogs a bunch of people, takes the uh, top three spot. It was Dallas, and they took Heisken in in 2017. This year, it's the Hawks. They're probably going to get a decent top three pick there. And Colorado Um, had the fourth place, uh, had the fourth pick that draft, too. Yeah, and they had the best odds that draft, too, and they slid all the way down to fourth. It happened again two years later. Yep. So, um, I guess Ottawa was kind of wise in deciding to keep Brady Kachuk and uh, take their chances with this year. Yep. Um, whereas, because we don't know what uh, Colorado's going to take with their fourth pick. It's, it, it, it might it might be that uh, Burnham guy um, Bowen Brown. that everyone's uh, pretty hyped up about. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, it, you know, the, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, paint, tell lipstick on a pig and and say that the sends you know got away with it that duchene trade still looks bad it yep. just looks less bad of course so uh, i i'm pleasantly surprised at the same time uh that um things went the way they did um ottawa got the best case scenario for a change instead of the worst case scenario right also also taylor hall how about taylor hall and his lottery magic like this is the fifth time in nine years his team has won the lottery. Like, how lucky can you get? I know, I know. I think they were saying that this is the sixth time that his, uh, in his nine seasons that he uh, has won the, um, has won the lottery, including, well, it, 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 including yeah, his own. Include his draft. It's yeah. six and ten seasons. Yeah, six, six and ten, ten lotteries. Oh, is it, I thought it was six but, and nine, but okay, you might be right. No, it's it's his fifth and nine lotteries if you exclude his. Oh, okay. Still incredible. Still, yeah, amazing, yeah. Um, Phil Housley, I mean, we'll we'll have a draft preview and all that stuff uh, when it yeah. happens when it's closer to that time. But uh, those are the three teams that got lucky. Oh, and we kind of missed uh, Chicago. Gets the third pick. They they almost made the playoffs, and now they get the third pick in the draft. Um, they're looking pretty good now, even if they won't get Hughes or Kako. Um, they're you know they're looking pretty good. Um, yeah, may, maybe if uh, Biden if Biden's uh, there, uh, they'll take him third. Yeah, overall, we'll see. We all know they need I think a bit of defensive help, even though they have Bjorkvist in the system and he's killing it in the OHL. I, they they need a bit more defense besides him. I believe there's a there's a Russian guy, Paul Zilkin, and there's a couple of centers. Yeah, yeah, and at, I believe so. he's a defenseman as well. Yeah. So and Bowen Byram is yeah the the main defenseman yeah, that people that's, want. That's the guy whose name I keep watching. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> uh, Phil Phil Housley and uh, I don't know it's Willie Desjardins um, yeah. are both out as coach. Um, Phil Housley was of Buffalo and Willie Desjardins was of LA. Um, I guess this isn't terribly surprising. Phil Housley didn't really have a great track record in his two seasons in Buffalo. Desjardins was more of an interim head coach and he didn't really change things around when he was coached there. So. Um, yeah, both aren't really surprising. Um, I'll be curious to see who they replace now because I feel like 
Quenville and Vigneault were the two big um, coaches on the market, and now I'm not even sure who else is available. So, yeah. Yeah, um, so we'll, we'll start off with uh, Phil Housley. Uh, for a first-time head coach, I think he was asked to do too much in Buffalo. Like, he goes from an assistant coach over in Nashville, um, a team that's had a lot of sustained success, to head coach of a Buffalo team in just a short summer. And, and Buffalo, you know, of course, had a lot of losing seasons, a lot of expectations to get back into the playoffs. And a lot of people thought he was the guy to do it. And a lot of people also might say he wasn't cut out for the position. But there are a few things to keep in mind because it's not like all the young coaches that get promoted within the organizations like Bruce Cassidy in Boston when the Bees fired Julian. He's not like that. Like, Bruce Cassidy... He knew some of the guys from his days in Providence, the AHL yeah. affiliate for the Bruins. Housley didn't have that luxury. He had to get used to every single player. True. And as a result, the transition took some getting used to from a coaching standpoint and from a player standpoint as well. Uh, I think what ended up hurting him, as Matt Larkin of the Hockey News pointed out, is the 10-game winning streak at the beginning of the year because now everyone assumes, okay, Sabres are back. All right. those years of losing are done. Top team in the NHL finally going to the playoffs. Instead, they free fall off a cliff, miss the playoffs, and look like a team that struggled to win from previous years. Um, and and as a result, people are going to assume that something's wrong. And in some of those moments, the coach takes the fall for it. And uh, that was the case, I think, with Phil Housley in Buffalo. It's that there was a lot of short-term success. Everyone thought that it wasn't a fluke that Sabres were back in business. They revert back to their old ways and um, in a tough Atlantic division, just couldn't get it together. And, and uh, he was the fall guy uh, going to Willie Desjardins. Um, nothing more than a short term hire that they're probably going to ditch at the end of the year. I mean, you have guys like Kovalchuk uh, complained that he wasn't getting enough ice time with Willie behind the bench. And I also heard rumblings that, Jonathan Quick maybe wasn't the biggest fan of Willie's approach to the game. Um, I never thought for a second he'd be coaching the Kings beyond this year, so I'm yeah. not entirely surprised about that. In regards to who they could hire next, I heard that uh, both the Kings and the Sabres were talking to Todd McClellan. It looked like oh, for a while it might be L.A., and then it looked like, okay, he's in talks with Buffalo. That might be close to a done deal. Um, but those were just talks. They didn't really go anywhere. Buffalo pulled out of the running, and now it looks like uh, the Kings are talking with McClellan again, and he could be their coach. So um, we'll have the latest on that, but it appears that uh, Todd McClellan is on the Kings' radar right now. He was in Buffalo, but it's not anymore. McClellan would be interesting if he does go to L.A. because he was the Sharks coach for many years, and then he was he also was, yeah. Edmonton. He's also the Edmonton coach for many years, or for those two years, and now, or a couple years, I guess. It was three years. Um, and so that would be like, you know, those teams are both in the division as well, so that would yeah. be kind of interesting. Um, Mini Duluth, Minnesota Duluth wins their second consecutive NCAA tournament um, against UMass. Um yeah, it was it wasn't that great of a final game, but um, it's it's impressive that this is their second consecutive uh, tournament, and they're not really a big program at all. So it's um, it's kind of amazing that they've been able to 
a win two, not just one year but two year two years in a row so uh congrats to them for yeah, sure yeah you know to do that for the second straight year that's um kind of like a college dynasty i guess and yep. what's also impressive is that all but three seniors have played in the ncaa title game in every college season they've played so when you think there's a lot of this group uh potentially back for 2020 the bulldogs could build themselves um a third straight title and uh what's also interesting is their head coach uh scott sandalin uh the hockey news had an interesting article about him as well um and we we talk about uh, the college coaching route more guys being uh, weeded out of college hockey teams and going to nhl teams and one of the first uh in today's nhl that um was exposed to that was uh, dave haxtall what a lot of hype heading into his first coaching job with the flyers a few years ago and part of the reason why is because he was coaching north dakota's hockey team a, a place known for a lot of success uh, very high pedigree at the collegiate level uh, guys like jonathan Tays play there guys like tj oshi played there and sandalin has been the guy in the director's chair for both of these mini duluth national titles so at some point down the road, I think he's going to get NHL consideration for head coaching gigs as well. Um, but in the meantime, this team could be just as strong heading into next year. A lot of their guys, um, there are some guys that are um, drafted by NHL teams, could turn pro. But if they decide to stick around, you know, this team could be just as good next year. And the fact that UMass was one of the most explosive teams in college hockey and the fact that the Bulldogs barely gave them anything to work with, any time to do what they wanted to do. You know, they would have the, a couple of flurry chances in front of the net, but they weren't really able to convert. And and uh, many Duluth played an incredible final game. Yep. And uh, it's something that you don't see a lot of in college hockey, so it's very impressive. Yep. Uh, Kale McCarr signs, uh, speaking of UMass, Kale McCarr signs with Colorado. Um, and he even scored in his first game um, in the playoffs. Uh, he signed on, I think, uh, was it Sunday? And then he uh, played the next day um, on Monday, and then he scored a goal. So um, it looks like he, you know, he's the real deal. We'll see. Um, obviously, it's only one game, but um, it's good. It's kind of amazing that he was able to contribute, like, right away. Um, and we'll see that this could change things um, if if Colorado does make it past the first round. Yeah, and, and before he um, before he actually um, signed that contract, he also um, took part in, of course, the Frozen Ford style game, which UMass Hammers yeah. unfortunately lost. He also, the day before that, won the Hobie Baker right. uh, for scoring 16 goals and 49 points in 41 games after getting five goals and 21 points in 34 games the year before. So it was quite the transformation. He, he's, he's also had success at other levels, mind you. Um, in his draft year, uh, when he was drafted by the Avs, he had 24 goals and 75 points with the Alberta Junior Hockey League's Brooks Bandits. Um, that same year, he got 16 points in 13 playoff games. He also competed in back-to-back -back RBC Cups, which is a national junior A tournament. And in those 10 games over those two tournaments, he got six goals and 13 points. 
He was also part of two Western Canada Cup tournaments as well, the tournament before the RBC Cup, where you have to qualify to get into the RBC Cup. And he also um, had 13 points in 11 games over those two tourneys. So this guy's got quite the track record of winning. Um, obviously, a lot of bonus money as well for a top five pick. That's expected. Um, but he's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. And uh, yeah, it couldn't have asked for a better uh, debut um, uh, on a night where Colorado was just really dictating the pace to Calgary all game long. So uh, yep. yeah, he's got a bright future ahead for sure. For sure. Uh, Vegas um, also re-signs uh, or signs uh, Nikita Gusev. Um, I guess there was a like, bunch of rumblings that Gusev was just going to like uh, uh, be a free agent in the summer, but he uh, makes the deal done in the last month or so, um, and he may play in the playoffs. We'll see. But uh, he had uh, in the KHL, he had a. Uh, 82 points in 62 games this year for Skull St. Petersburg. Uh, last year he had uh, 62 points in 54 games um, also for Skull St. Petersburg. So uh, yeah, he's uh, he's one of those other KHL imports that we'll see um, how he does um, after a couple of years in the KHL. But the other thing to of note here is that he's 26 years old. Um, so he's not like really young per se for a hockey for a hockey team um so we'll see if he can um how he does and if he's able to you know be a uh be a contributor for vegas um when he's out here or not um yeah we'll see i am kind of looking forward to it though yeah um <laughs> it kind of seems that after Ilya Kolachuk left we kind of know who took uh, most of the offensive load there after he left. Yep. Um, he had 22 goals and uh, 62 points, I believe, um, the previous season with uh, the same team. And like you said, 82 points in 62, 62 games. Um, it, it, that's absolutely incredible for, uh, for the KHL. And um, again, another added weapon that can make the Golden Knights dangerous. Um, the Sharks have found that out the very hard way early on. Um, he was one of those assets they acquired at the expansion draft from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the obvious question remained whether or not he was going to sign with an NHL franchise or not. And he's still a pending free agent after this year. So this appears to be like a 30-day trial. If you like it, keep it. Try and, try and sign this guy. But um, okay. maybe they're just going to see what, uh, what, what this guy's all about. But... Um, it's it's a bit odd that he signs with Vegas after the whole ship and ship okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Sorry, I'm doing something else. Uh, <laughs> I I guess there's ads here. Um, yeah, no, we'll we'll see uh, how it goes for both uh, Makar and uh, Gusev. Um, okay, let's go to the Bruins sixty sevens uh, segment. Um, our first ever Bruins 67 segment, um, because, uh, Steve is also a fan of the Ottawa 67s and they're in the playoffs at the moment. So, um, take it away, Steve. Yeah. So it's, it's been going pretty well for the 67s. Um, that series against Sudbury where I thought, um, it was going to go probably six, maybe seven games ended in four straight. 
Um, and it ended with a absolutely outstanding game four that went to triple overtime, one of the longest in OHL playoff history, the longest in 67's playoff history as well. And uh, they get a power play in overtime, and Ty Felber is quick to end it. It was around 11.30 when he did so. Um, so now the 67s are off to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, both goalies in that game, Uko Pekka, Lukanen of the Sudbury Wolves, and Mikey DiPietro of the Ottawa 67s were just magnificent in that game. Um, the game before was another offensive slugfest, like game one, 67s won that eight to the five. This one was much closer. Both goalies were, were making highlight reel saves and I was just really impressed by the resiliency of the Ottawa 67s, how how well they've been conditioned in this year. They're one of the most condi- well-conditioned teams in the Ontario Hockey League, and um, just how jacked up they were going out to the ice for those overtime periods. Like, they weren't short of emotion. They were eager to get at it. They they were just in that right frame of mind where they, they just felt, it. you know, it doesn't matter how long you make us play for, we're going to find a way to win this game. And they did exactly that. And heading into the Eastern Conference Finals, you love to see that body language. And um, my body language as a fan has also gone up because instead of facing a high-octane Niagara Ice Dogs offense, they're facing the Oshawa Generals because after building a 2-0 lead against Oshawa, Niagara drops four straight and their season is done. So all of a sudden, um, Ottawa gets uh, the Oshawa Generals in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, it's definitely not going to be an easy task because um, although they don't have to deal with Bruins prospect Jack Stanika, who used to play for the Generals, got traded to the Ice Dogs. Um, oh, they, will to, they will have to deal with uh, Kyle Kaiser, who is a Bruins prospect and leads the OHL in playoff GAA this year. Um, so he's been very good for the Oshawa Generals. Uh, they have um, played Oshawa really tough in the regular season. They've gotten some good results against the Generals as well. It should be a hard-fought series, but I think I like Ottawa's chances better against Oshawa as opposed to Niagara. So um, I'm definitely optimistic heading into the series that uh, the 67s can pull it off. Uh, Mitch Holscher has been one of Ottawa's best players since day one of the playoffs. Lucas Chiodo has been up there um, in the OHL's top 10 scoring race as well. Um, in those first two rounds of action, I think he has like 15, 16 points roughly. So um, I, I definitely like Ottawa's odds to win. Um, I I know this is a Bruin 67 segment. I am going to mention quickly about the Belleville Senators because they had an interesting final week of their season um it came down to the final day of the regular season basically if they won they got in and they were going up against the rochester americans a team that iced seven or eight guys and one of the guys they brought up and actually started in that game was uko pekka lukanen who was eliminated by the ottawa 67s in four games because he is a stabers prospect and rochester is their farm team so um, they recalled him from the OHL, started him against Belleville, and he got the better end of this game, um, withstood uh, Belleville's attack, stopped all 20 shots he faced in the third period, and I think it was like 32 of 34 in the game or something like that. And anyways, Belleville lost that game 4-2. to two. Uh, Three power play goals against that certainly didn't help Belleville's cause at all. 
And um, in order to get in, they would have to hope that the Toronto Marlies would beat the Cleveland Monsters. And whenever you trust a Toronto team to do something, it doesn't usually end well for you. And it didn't in this case. Toronto was outshot 20 to 2 in the first period, 41 to 18, or something like, like that in the game. And uh, they lost to Cleveland 4 to 1. So Belleville's season is over. But uh, a lot of positives to look up on. Drake Batherson was named to the AHL's rookie team. Marcus Hogberg has had his moments this year as well. Definitely a lot to look forward to if you're a Belleville Senators fan. And if you're a fan of the Ottawa Senators, they have a lot of prospects uh, coming through the fold. Probably Alex Tormanson plays in the AHL next year if he doesn't play in the NHL. Um, If uh, Batherson and Brown still need more development, they'll be back in the AHL next year as well. Um, there's also guys like Rudolph Balsers as well that will be eligible. Max Lajoie, who um, is recovering from injury. Eric Brandstrom, recovering from injury, but has a bright future. Christian Molainen, um has been not a point-per-game player, but um, I think he had like 27 points in his first 37 games with the team this year. So um I, I i definitely think that the future is bright uh, for the sens organization in ottawa and in belleville and um this near run to the playoffs uh is is a good example of that so hopefully the good fortunes uh here in ottawa continue yeah um the bruins i mean there's they're in the postseason right now yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're playing meaningful postseason hockey right now yeah uh i did i well first off i just we didn't really talk too much about the last couple of games in the regular season, but I did want to mention that uh, Zach Sinishin, uh he was the 2015 16th overall pick, um, the third of the Bruins picks in the first round that year. Um, and so he made his debut in the last two games. Um, of the season and you know it's interesting because he was so um you know like he's kind of he's kind of been uh we were talking about this off the air uh a bit but Sinishin was like you know in the OHL he wasn't necessarily um good when he was drafted um and then he had 40 goals the next year um um, on OHL, cause mostly because he was given a ton of ice time. Um, and then when he went to the AHL, a similar type situation happened. Um, his, like, he was told to work on his defense, um, and he was just put on, like, a bottom six type role. Um, so his often his numbers weren't really good um, in the AHL. Um, but now, in the AHL, he's, like, a... He's on their penalty kill. Um, so it's one of those things where I hope that it's going to happen um, when he starts, you know, when he gets called up in the, on the rosters. The more games he's going to play, he's just going to improve and improve. Um, you know, if, the, if he's just working on his defense and the Bruins are like, that's what they want him to develop on. And if he is working on his defense, it's, um, it's just encouraging to see that he's been able to to do all that. So um, it was good to see that he got a, an empty netter goal um, in uh, his first game against 
Minnesota, but like he was in on all the action there. Uh, he was just very physical. He was very like he was whenever he was on the ice, you would notice him, and that's exactly what the Bruins want out of him. Um, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a top six guy, but um, if he can be like a, in the third line or something like that, uh, I'd be very happy with with that. Um, I know it's going to take a long time though, so. I'm ready to be patient at this point. He, you know, it's tw- he was drafted in 2015, so um, I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. But it was it was nice to see that he was able to um, at least do stuff, even if it was just the last couple of games of the season. Um, and then in terms of the playoffs, yeah, it's um, you know we all kind of thought that Toronto was a good team, um, and and they kind of showed. Uh, this uh, this time I, I predicted the Bruins in seven um, but now it's 2-1 Toronto um, the first game the Bruins did not show at all um, show up at all I mean Bergeron got things started but it was not a fun uh, <laughs> after that it was not a fun type of uh, situation um, it seemed like Bergeron and Coyle were like the only two players on the Bruins who were actually trying. Um, Chara was not great, um, but like so were the whole, like the entirety of the defense wasn't either. Um, then in game two, it was kind of like the reverse where the Bruins played really well and Toronto didn't. Um, Coyle, by the way, is like my favorite player now. Um, I was so against that trade when it happened, but, um, I do love what I've seen of him. He, he scored in the last two games, um, in game two and game three. Um, but yeah, no, the Bruins, uh, kind of showed up, um, in game two. Um, and then in game three, it was like, it felt like the Bruins had, um, the advantage the entire time, except for the times that they, you know, gave up all these goals. Um, but I, like, it was one of those things where Toronto is actually playing pretty well defensively speaking. And it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where I feel like the Bruins just underestimated how good Toronto is, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because Toronto is a pretty good team. I know that they ended the season poorly, but and they definitely still have some defensive lapses that they need to work on, but they're not going to be a cakewalk, and the Bruins should have known that. Um, and that's that's going to be that's kind of fr- frustrating at the moment. Um, of course, I don't think this series is over. It never is with these two teams, but um, it's not. You know, I feel like right now Toronto has the you know the they've been playing better uh, than the Bruins have, and and that's been the difference um more or less so uh we'll see um yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts on the on the series as a whole well um the one thing i don't think they've really done enough of is get under freddie anderson's skin i mean yep. they won game two but freddie still looked calm and composed for most of that game he looked comfortable he didn't really get too rattled uh, I think they need to get him out of his comfort zone a little bit more. What also worries me is Mitch Marner's play. Uh, of course, that massive outing in game one where he scores yep. two goals, that's one thing. Mason career high five blocks in game three, including, including a pair yeah. of the dying seconds regulation. 
Like yep. when when you're giving it all you've got like that in the final seconds of regulation, that kind of <laughs> that kind of gets me to believe. Gee, maybe the Leafs might actually win a series. Yep. Uh, so the Leafs' best players are, are showing up, plain and simple. Anderson, uh, I think, has been slightly, slightly better, but still better. And and Mitch Marner has has had his moments and. It, it though when when your stars are are playing like that, um, that definitely bodes well for your team. So um, I think I definitely think getting more stars off their off of their game is is going to be important. And I thought Game Three was a bit of a missed opportunity for Boston because of the fact Kadri, one of the guys that could probably intimidate you a little bit, that would make you think twice about what you're doing, or. Um, make you watch your back a little bit i think the bruins now have more freedom to kind of do what they want without kadri in the lineup and it's it's a stupid play by kadri it's a bonehead play by kadri i i i (laughs) this is the second time in the Leafs bruins series in the last two years where he's done something stupid and now he's cost his team you know a bunch of games in the first round and like he cross-checks DeBrusque when he's not expecting when the puck is nowhere near him. There's clearly intent to injure. The track record is there in everything. Like, all Kadri has to do in that situation is fight. And I just can't remember a time where Kadri has even dropped the gloves. Like, if you want to defend a teammate that bad, just drop the gloves right there. If, the, yeah. if DeBrusque wants to do it later, then fine. If he doesn't, well, then get out there, score a goal, make a big hit, keep doing what you're doing to help your team. Instead, he's making five to six million and gets suspended. And he's not helping his team, he's hurting his team. So um, I, I think the Bruins really need to take advantage of that. And if they don't, I think it's going to be a missed opportunity. For them. So the thing that, like, you know, obviously Kadri is a bonehead and um, is an idiot and all that stuff. But... Um, you know, like the difference between last year's, like last year when Kadri was an idiot again um, for his boneheaded plays, you know, it's like the Leafs, on, the the center deaths on the Leafs was basically Austin Matthews and that was it. Whereas nowadays, now Toronto does have more center deaths just purely because they have John Tavares. So it's it doesn't hurt them as much. Uh, when Kadri is is gone because they have John Tavares on their team now um, to ha- to bring back their center depth, um, so it's it's you know that kind of makes me wonder if um, like obviously it it's good that Kadri's out of the series because he's a good player and all, but he is, at the same time it's it's still like um, this is why they got Tavares it's. For their center depth and um, yeah, and all that stuff. it's not it's not that the center depth that they're hurt by country. It's not that they're missing his offense because yep. his offense has been MIA for a while now. Like, yep, he's getting paid way too much to score too little. Um, it, it's the physical element that the Leafs, I think, in a lot of people's eyes, have been lacking that he yep. provides that they won't have for four to five games and something that the Bruins have done pretty well. It's something Jake DeBrus did very, very well in in that game. And and I will give Kadri a bit of slack here, even though I still think what he did was a boneheaded play. Um, the refs let a lot of stuff go in that game. 
and maybe should have called some of the stuff that they didn't call. Yep. But you still got to keep your cool there, and it's you know it's a division rival. It's it's a tense series. It's very physical. I get that, but you you really got to be mentally tough in those situations. And I think that's what's going to happen moving forward. Is who's got the mental toughness? Who's got more of that? Yeah. And if if the Bruins lose that mental battle, um, I think Toronto has them. Yeah, I I guess. Um, also, I will say before we leave the show. Um, is I don't. This isn't a Leafs podcast, by the way. Um, but uh, I will say that uh, David Pasternak has to pick it up. He only has one assist in three games. That's unacceptable. He needs to be better. He's one of our best players. Um, he needs to be up there. Uh, Brad Marchand and Bergeron have both been decent, so I, I'm not going to be as critical on them. But they also need to be better too. Um, and, um, David, David Krejci has been good too. So, um, I love Charlie Coyle. He's been like the best player on the Bruins in these three games. Um, he's, you know, he's very hardworking. So credit to him. Oh, and David Backus has been, uh, very good too, um, as well. So, uh, good for him. He has one assist, but, um, he's been like very, like he's been the, He's been a pot stirrer as well, um, like Jake DeBrusque has been. So um, it's good to see about that. But uh, our big guys like Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, they have to start scoring. Otherwise, the Bruins are not going to make it past the first round um, yeah, if they don't. Like so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's funny because I was like worried so much about Tuka Rask. And he's been decent, even when, even though he's one and two. But he's been, he's been good. Um, but now it's like, you know, but that was assuming that Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak were going to, uh, you know, be on their game. But they have to, they have to start uh, doing it like now. Like they, they can't be in game five. It has to be in game four. Um, so I'm, I'm calling them out now. Um, yeah, and, and it's not that I don't believe that they can't do it. Um, it's just that um, it's how they're it's how the Bruins are going to win um, if those three guys are on their game. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I said would be critical for the Leafs. Yep. If they shut down Boston's top guys, they have a chance. And they've and, they, and they've and been they able to chance. do that. They have a chance yeah, to do something. It's one of those things like who knew that Toronto can play defense? It's, a, it's just a crazy concept. Yeah, who, who so, knew Tampa couldn't score? Yeah, these playoffs, I know. They, yeah. These playoffs have been on crack. I it, swear. Basically, yeah. Patrick Line is back to his normal self. It's and uh, Tampa and uh, um, the uh, Penguins are losing three nothing. So uh, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> it has been pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's why we love playoff hockey. We and, like it like that. And Toronto is playing defense. Um, it's yeah. It's, uh, again, to emphasize, they know how to play defense. Exactly. Um, you can uh, uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, we're also on um, Spotify as well as SoundCloud and iTunes, even though I already said that. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Enjoy these playoffs. I'm Brett Duboff.
I'm Steve Belzer from Talk Again, episode 168 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.